You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, everybody. Tennis.com podcast. I am Ed McGrogan back once again with Richard Pagliaro and Pete Bodo here. On another summer week of tennis, it was um, a very heavy week of tennis. Pete, in a, in a little Sunday uh, appetite wedding post, picked four of the finals, and that wasn't even all of the finals that were going on this past week. There was right, there were five. Five altogether. Um, you know, in such locales as College Park, Maryland, we have um, in, in Stad, Switzerland, and then there's the ones that got probably the most attention in Los Angeles and Stanford. And uh, like I said, it still wasn't even all the tournaments. It's it's like, uh, you know, as you were saying before, the warm-up before the big warm-ups. Yeah, it's funny. It's like the endless summer theme here. You know, it's a little bit like there's a couple weeks. It's like they say, okay, we got a couple weeks to fill. Geez, what are we going to do? There's a long gap between. We can't really do just U.S. Open warm-ups because how many warm-ups do you need? You really need two or three warm-up tournaments. That's it. Well, this is what happens, too, when, when the Masters Series and, and the Premier – when the big tier events have become mandated and you know they're the only game in town that specific week is you have to put all these tournaments somewhere and this is this seems to be a time of year when we're getting you know four or five tournaments a week there's a couple instances a year where you just see you can't even keep up with your head's just going to spin around that so um, you know like like we're talking about there's results that may not have gotten any sort of attention that they might normally have Guys like uh, Verdasco losing to Marcel Granoliers in a in a final that would have caught some attention otherwise. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on, so we're going to try to hit as much of it as we can. And a lot of opportunity for these guys to make yeah. a little money and build up some ranking boards. Never overlooked that. You know, these guys looking at these two fifties, they're licking their chops. They're saying, "Oh my God, Roger's not there, Rafa's not there, Novak's not there. Hey, I could win." So. I could witness things. There's Granolers. Yes, yeah, right. Granolers are a guy like Galvis is looking to jumpstart his it. whole career, and, and he does it. On a yeah, big stage in Los right. Angeles. Sure. Yeah, and especially sure. on when, when Europe has this clay court circuit going, guys that traditionally feed on those clay events are not even going to touch those. So that's where, like you said, you get so many players that tend to grab their first title of the year. This it's like those old guys on a beach with a metal detector. You know, you, you got to go out there and play these couple of weeks. You never know what you're going to find, yeah. what's going to happen to you. I saw them on the beach this past yeah, week, so they're, they're out there. Absolutely. Wearing camouflage shorts. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, oh, of course. <laughs> so let's talk about a couple of these, the main ones. The main two were, like I said, Stanford and Los Angeles. The biggest one, Stanford on the women's side, were Serena Williams. Wins her first title since coming back from um, – for practically a year absence, and in doing so, beats just throttles um, Maria Sharapova in the quarters, Lazicki again in the semis, and in the final, she beats Bartoli also in straight sets in a match that um, it didn't look like it was going to turn out that way from the start. Bartoli had a really nice opening there, but by the end, this was um, this was yet another Serena title. And is it more or less the same story we've been hearing for that you can just repeat? Ad nauseum here, Pete. Well, it sort of isn't. It isn't in a way too, because she's coming off Wimbledon, where she, you know, she really let's let's remember she has not really done a lot of um, playing, you know, since you know in, in a year, and she hasn't won a title since that Wimbledon title last year. So it, it's really not the same as her just dropping in after a couple months and and sort of never really being out of shape. And really, I think what what was really special about this one was look, let's face it, you could not come up, you know, within a reason, you could not come up with a tougher draw for Serena, in my opinion, than she had here. She had a, a variety of styles to 
play. She had a big potential rival to put away Maria Sharapova. She had the woman who beat her at Wimbledon and a girl who'd actually whose best tournament victory was at Stanford itself, Bartoli, who's not afraid of anybody, including Serena. So, you know, you and Kirilenko, who's, you know, tough and a little unpredictable and Yeah, that was a really loaded draw. I mean I mean Kirilenko in round two is not it's not a pushover for anybody. No, absolutely. Really. I don't know what Richard thinks, but I mean I, I thought she got handed a, a really a, a great draw in terms of, of, of a testing draw, and boy, she passed with flying colors. And I think you're right in terms of the styles. You look at Lasicki coming off the Wimbledon semis, a big server, Sharapova serve, struggling a little bit, but from the baseline, you know, flat hitter, big hitter, and then Bartoli, a tremendous return. So there was, and Karolinko tries to play a little all court, mix it up, come in. So she got a little bit of taste of flavor of just about every style the you workout. could see. Yeah, yeah the workout. Yeah, there. and she handled it really really well obviously so what happened with Sharapova because this was the match that um, from the onset of the tournament this was you know the one everybody wanted to see it happened and this is you know, Wimbledon finalist French Open semifinalist and this was you know this was over in just over an hour so what you know what what's up with that I guess it's, it's I think it's fair to ask when Sharapova did so well on clay, on clay and then grass, you know, that's her best, and then goes right to the hard courts with seemingly a lot of momentum and then just gets ambushed here. You know? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, it's just a bad, it, it's a bad matchup for Sharapova against Serena, and it's always going to be a bad matchup because Serena's superior athletically. Her serve is so much more reliable and bigger, and Sharapova loves to take the first strike and move you. The problem with that is you move Serena, she's going to hit a sharper angle off that. So Sharapova, the running rallies really don't favor her, and I just think it's a bad... It reminds me of of, of Serena versus Davenport, you know, a really good, clean, big hitter of the ball like Davenport, but she just didn't have the mobility to run with Serena. Yeah, let's face it, true. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. And compared to... Sharapova, who we've always kind of described as a go-for-it-all player, it's rare that you would you would consider Serena in that matchup going for safer shots. But really, again, Sharapova, um, you know, she seems to have uh, more room for error. On yeah, the she's got a lot that. more margin on yeah, every and, shot. And, she and hits that's not more to say, spit. of course, that Serena, yeah. she's not going for anything on her shots. Right. She has one of the most devastating, you know, ground strokes in the game. Here. And I think she got into her head a little with those forehand returns where she was just ripping the returns before Sharapova could even set up for the next ball, and then that makes you subconsciously, geez, I either got to go for more on my first serve or I just got to get it in, and it it kind of wreaked havoc with her a little bit. Maria put a lot of pressure on herself. Yeah. You know? I mean, look, she, you know, she, she made those comments, and you know, I'm, I'm certainly, I, I don't think she was trash-talking. I don't think it was inappropriate. I think it was perfectly fine what she said about Serena. She was eager to play Serena again. Thank God somebody is, because frankly, you know, 80% of the women on a tour are going to fold up when they see Serena on the other side of the net. So it's great to see somebody who is as game and competitive as a Sharapova, Bartoli in the same league, I think, go out there and, and want to play Serena. Uh, you know, but, you know, it's an awful lot of pressure to put on herself. And even, even if she's not feeling the pressure per se, somehow it's going to affect you. You know, you go out there and suddenly there it is. It's match time. And when you don't have a serve to rely on, I mean, if you got it, if you were going to deconstruct Sharapova, you go back to one thing. Until she gets that serve straightened out, she's not going to, you know, turn up big in, in these big matches as much as she needs to, I think. There was a little bit of that in the French Open, too, where she lost to Lena there. You know, I mean, you know, if, if she were serving, you know, reasonably, then it would be an entirely different ballgame. And her ground game, you'd see a lot of those forehands and those backhands suddenly start to fall Yeah, in. just some, right, just, you know, having one less thing to worry about. And the, exactly. You know, the, which is one less huge one, thing to worry about. Yeah, mostly the most important thing in tennis, some people say. So I think, you know, most people at this point, 
with this win thought ahead, of course, and and Serena with the win halves her ranking. I think it's the number 79, 79 precisely yeah. it is. Um, right behind Carlos Suarez Nav- Navarro. Yeah, so so she'll have a couple more tournaments, um, Toronto, Cincinnati on the women's side, to, to get that up um, to see where it kind of ends up. It seems pretty, I, w- I would say pretty hey, safe. Now hold on one second, though, Eddie. Yeah. Will she play those tournaments? What do you guys I think? I think she does will. She play, you know, does she skip one or both now? I that think she, she, hey, I can do this again. I think she'll play both, and I thought it was a kind of a telling comment with Serena, because she kind of plays it close to the vest in terms of tactics and shot selection, but she did make the comment after that Sharapova match, look, it's time to get serious, not just at the slams, but the other tournaments, and that's always been a little bit of a knock on her that she just uses the smaller events to gear up for the majors. Now, if she gets serious about going on winning these other tournaments, you know, look out. Not sure, not sure how much. Yeah. Uh, I still think it's. A, I still think Pete's point is well taken. I, I didn't think of that, but you're right. It, it's not like it wasn't a surprise to see her win an event like this, and it would be no surprise to see her. Yeah, that's true. Based on her, you know, pa- I don't know. I kind of get the sense she's she's gonna want more match play before the open. What's interesting play. to me is that you know, it's going to tell us a little bit about, you know, she was talk, She talked a lot this, this past week about how much she wants to come back and play, how much she loves tennis. you got kind of a little born-again theme here about yeah. somebody saying, hey, you know what, I'm almost 30 years old, the acting thing didn't really work out that well, you know, and, and I've done a celebrity thing and, and the nightclubbing, and, and hey, you know, hey, I actually like this game. I like being famous for tennis. I like going out there and, and, and winning all this money, getting all this adulation and being such a big hero. So, you know, the question now will be, you know, she liked the game enough to want to be out there playing the game, and you know, instead of saying, "Well, gee, I think I can make it through the U.S. Open, so I'm going to go have some fun and do something else," and you know, whatever, you know, she's going to say, "Hey, this is it. I'm, I'm digging this. I want to get, to, I want to get to Toronto. I want to get to Cincinnati. I want to beat some people." It's and the, go to the it's, US Open. Uh, it's the same question and a different question at the same time that another player is going to turn 30 in a month is Roger Federer is going to be answering to. It's not that he has these other ancillary activities going on, but it's about you know what what more do I have to do I have to want to do really out on the circuit here? And uh, like you said, Serena's going to turn 30 in September. Federer turns 30 in a week in um, up in Montreal where um, we'll actually be covering that. I'll be up in Montreal and uh, we'll have that event covered very nicely. I hope you get a piece of birthday cake, Ed. Yeah. And um, yeah, he usually gets one at that tournament. I didn't mention it. So that's, I think, two questions that you're going to see um, that will be most telling out of this late summer circuit here. So, um, with that, we'll go to the men here who, in Los Angeles, it was uh, Marty Fish goes back to a, another final. He's also playing again this week for what it's worth. He's um, you know going all across the U.S., every, every possible small tournament. Um, you know He'll be at the big ones as well. But this time in the final, he loses to Ernest Galvis, a guy who you know, most people would say is probably the ultimate, one of the ultimate wild card players. Um, on the men's tour, he'd be Federer last year on clay, has a number of sort of eye-popping results and then like cover-your-eyes results too at the same time. But this time, he wins in three sets, loses the first set, takes the next two. Um, let's talk on about Golbus first. Um, and, you know, I don't think there's anything long-term we want to put about this, but just about his game and what, you know, what worked for him on Sunday against Fish. Um, Everything. <laughs> you know, I mean, look, I mean, the guy beats Juan Martin Del Potro, who's, you know, who's playing really well again and who's great on the hard courts and is really focusing on his hard court season. 
you know, the guy really caught, you know, he, he caught a hot streak. One thing that, that did, you know, somewhat surprise me, I guess, was Darren Cahill really, really talked him up on ESPN. He was, you know, Darren was, you know, saying what a great guy he is and how much you really want. I think you know, he's a, he was an Adidas guy. Well, he still is an Adidas guy. Well, that could be part of the yeah. explanation there. But, you know, it's a little like, you know, a lot of us have been sitting there thinking, you know, this kid's really great. Obviously, comes from a rich family. We all know that that's a big story out there, kind of. And, and yet, so how much does he really want this, you know, because he has so many bad results. He's so many results, you know, when it looks almost like he's given up or tanking and stuff. You know, so I was a little surprised. You know, I guess, you know, Killer must know him better than, than we do, or he must know something about him that we don't. But uh, I'll believe it when I see it. When I see him put together a good run of three or four tournaments, I'll start to be convinced. He's right. one of those guys. He's at the wealth of talent, but just mentally bankrupt at some time where it looks like he's just not there. But I like the Kanye's move because Kanye's was a guy that was perfectly willing to hit 25, 30, 35 shots until he got the right ball to pull the trigger on. And you saw Galbus play a little more defense, scramble a little bit, throw up some lobs when he had to. The only thing that was a little disconcerting, he went to that drop shot way too much at the end of the match, almost like he didn't want to step in and really rip the forehand, though on match point he did that, hit a clean forehand winner. But I think you're right, the jury's still out. It's a great start, but this is a guy who had lost five matches in a row and and it was really slumping. So we'll see if he can, if yeah, Kanye's can continue to pull that out of him, the work ethic. That that's he, a good point, by the way. The Kanye's point is a very good point. Because, yeah, you know, Guillermo sometimes Kanye that'll make the, the difference. New, the new coach for um, right. Douglas, if you didn't know. Yes. Right. That's who, right. Who just retired a few years ago, really. Yeah. And, yeah so maybe, you know, maybe it is a career change. I don't know. I'm, I like to keep an open mind about these things. But like I say, I'll believe it when I see it. Let's, let's close with um, thoughts on uh, two Americans. We didn't really hit on fish here, even though... We just saw, I think, what I, I think over these last two weeks, we do kind of get a sense of maybe it's really over this past year is a sense of what what sort of ceiling he has. It you know up to this point, Fish, who had a really big breakout year last season, you know for the most part has done very well in backing up those results, um, Wimbledon quarterfinals, um, and, and and it looks like the summer is kind of going to be, you know, he's he's more likely a, a deep, you know. He's going to back up his seating, it sounds like, for the most part here. Um, but but above that, I, I think most people would say that you know it's it it's not uh, it's not worth putting stock in Marty Fish to kind of break out, really break out at thirty here or close to. The other guy I want to talk about is Ryan Harrison, who reached the second straight semifinal. He lost to Fish both times um, in Atlanta and Los Angeles, and this one he lost in the third set breaker to Fish here. Um, Let's talk about Harrison a little bit, and um, and just kind of some thoughts on his, on his game leading up to the Open, especially where he made such a big um, a big splash last year. Actually, well, you get the sense that he's a breakout waiting to happen. It's as simple as that, and you know, it's kind of an ongoing saga with him. It's a little bit like we're in a pre-breakout breakout stage because mm-hmm. you know he's getting some attention. People are saying he's going to get it done, you know, and he's he's coming really close. It goes all the way back to last year at the Open when we lost that match to Kowski, oh, I think, sure. you know. And then at Wimbledon this year with Ferrer, he had a really good match and stuff. So he's really on the cusp, and I think I, I think it's going to happen for him. I think he's a very versatile player. Is he a top five player, a Grand Slam champion? I don't know. It's going to. I think we're going to need need to see a couple couple more years of yeah. maturation there before that that becomes in play but you know it's very promising he's, he's by far the most promising young american out there yeah, and he's not afraid to work and i like that he's got that fire that feistiness you see him throw the racket around get get in as you sort of yell at himself and really try to summon it out pull it out of himself he's got some high standards he gets blown out that first set against fish and he didn't roll over he came back and he's got a history of doing that this year losing the first set and and somehow firing himself up 
and coming back. And I think there's a lot, you know, sort of to be said for that, his attitude. Yeah, I think whether or not you put a, guy, a kid like Harrison already in sort of that, you know, query Isner type level of like, is he on is he on this level of, of um, you know, American-ranked players? I think he's made his way into discussion, you know, whether you think it or not. And I think that's already a huge accomplishment. And what you're saying, Pete, about a breakout waiting to happen is I did feel like one of these tournaments here, these small U.S. events where he has, you know, it's, it's not the kind of spotlight, but he's got obviously a lot of support around. It, it seemed like this is the kind of event where at some point – that's where a title of his will come around. So you never know. We'll help. You would have thought, but there's one thing, too. I think, you know, you've, interesting you mentioned Isner and Query. Those guys have sort of leveled out, you know, a little bit disappointingly in my view. But, uh, you know, I could see Harrison getting close to those guys, and you know, everybody's starting to say, well, he's right up there kind of with the Queries, and, if, and, Isner, and I could see him jumping ahead. Where would you good. put him in comparison to, like, a Tomic off the Wimbledon quarters or a Dimitrov, who's everybody's been question. talking about for years to sort of, in terms of talent and ability and just consistency. Because yeah, we have heard, yeah, right, we've, we've heard about the guys like Barankas and Dimitri right. as well, and Harrison really did kind of come relatively out of nowhere last year. So is he on that plane as well as those guys? I would put him kind of third in talent, you know, just in terms of the pure ball striking. Right. You know, like you look at a watch at Tomachi and think, hey, there's something special going on. He's got those soft hands and stuff. And, you know, that sounds like a slight a little bit, but, you know, I might put him number one in terms of competitive temperament and personality and instinct and at the end of the day that's what it's about that's what's going to win you big yeah matches he has big desire matches. there's no doubt about that he, he's one i mean i went to newport a few weeks ago you watch him pry he's one of the few young guys you see at the net practicing his volleys before he even walks back to the baseline i mean he's got a good sense of what he needs to, what he needs to do to get where he wants to go yeah i was at that sikowski match last year the grand Slam, and i Hope he's put there again. I, I, I think he's beloved grandstand. You yes. can't, you can't yeah. get this guy away from the grandstand. <laughs> no. he, he could re, 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 I don't even want to name some of the names he'd watch out there. Well, the Heineken's the, colder out there. Why don't, you, <laughs> why don't you read the newest tennis? And you can see Pete and I's throwdown about that one. So, anyways, that's it for this week, and we will um, get in touch shortly. I will be in Montreal. Like I said, next week we'll do a podcast from there, um, crossing country lines, of course. Take your passport, Eddie. These yeah. days you need it. No, you can't forget these days. <laughs> Uh, thanks for listening. Richard Pagaro, Edith McGrogan, Pete Bodo, Tennis.com Podcast. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com. 